Welcome to the Stronger Than Autoimmune podcast. As an autoimmune warrior myself, I understand living with a chronic illness isn't easy. You're not alone. This podcast is to give hope. I will interview individuals living with autoimmunity along with experts and businesses to provide knowledge and support. As a health coach, I understand there is no cure for autoimmune disease, but creating small changes can influence how we feel and be stronger than autoimmune. Hello, 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 autoimmune warriors. This week's episode is part two of my conversation with Dr. Michael Lenz. Dr. Lenz is four doctors in one. He's a pediatrician, internist, clinical lipidologist, and lifestyle medicine doctor. In addition to being a doctor, he is an author, podcast host, producer, and blogger for Conquering Your Fibromyalgia. In this week's podcast, we discuss the link between ADHD and fibromyalgia. So let's get started. I'm very curious about the ADHD link because is it just a hyperactivity that exercise helps? And what's it, the link between ADHD yeah, so, and fibro? So ADHD, mm -hmm. and we're kind of getting away from calling it a disorder. Mm -hmm. It's more of a different operating, brain operating system, but can cause tremendous amount of distress. So there are these are people often are twice exceptional. They can be, on average, the average IQ is at the 93rd percentile. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, um, Einstein, Ben Franklin, Leonardo da Vinci, all of these highly successful people, highly creative, great minds, neurodivergent minds. But we know that there are the levels of dopamine and to some extent norepinephrine are affected. And we know that overlaps with fibromyalgia. We know different levels of serotonin. So there's an effect there. I had, so the connection is just from observation. When you look at studies, the, the, occurrence in the prevalence of ADHD varies from about 25 to 75% in those who have fibromyalgia or fibromyalgia-like illnesses. And the more severe your fibro, which is the higher your fibromyalgia impact score, the more likely you are to have ADHD. It is a disconnect, unfortunately, because of how we put medicine in silos there's no way a, a rheumatologist is even going to go close to ADHD. Mm. Most adult doctors who care for adults have no training in treating ADHD. All my training came from treating children. But I've been doing this for over 26, going on almost 27 years, and these kids grow up. And there's another myth. Talk about a myth. ADHD doesn't go away. It masks itself. And one of the ways I think it masks itself are in chronic pain conditions like fibromyalgia. Um, women are, wasn't even considered women would get ADHD until just over 20 years ago because it wasn't studied. It was all just these hyperactive, naughty boys. So the <laughs> connection often where ADHD shows up with fibromyalgia is it's an emotional fatigue. It's not a, I get short of breath. In fact, I felt good while I was on that three mile hike in that neurodivergent ADHD friendly hike in the perfect weather with 
good friends and adventure, but make me walk on a treadmill for an hour? Boy, that's very unstimulating and boring. Mm. So the ADHD brain has to work twice as hard to get half as much done, which causes a tremendous amount of what people, we would use the word fatigue. Yeah. And when you have to do a lot of, quote, brain work, that is like the little engine going up the steep mountain. That's a little four-cylinder, little car trying to power up, and it just has to <laughs> take a break. Yeah. But when you treat ADHD, if those who have coexisting fibromyalgia symptoms are cut in half on average. And then, well, now I'm more efficient in all my brain work during the day. I don't feel overwhelmed. One of the biggest symptoms of untreated ADHD that changes the most when you in those who have fibro and ADHD. One of the questions on the questionnaire is from zero, not at all, to 10 overwhelm. I don't know if you ever looked at the fibromyalgia impact score. Have you ever looked at that? Yes, I have. Thank you. In the middle section is from zero, how overwhelmed are you? Most people who are, you know, that's, we'll say, oh, I'm very overwhelmed. We treat their ADHD and I come back and I'll ask the question after we dial in the right medication and dose and they'll be like, I, I don't feel overwhelmed. Hmm. And then they pause and go, gosh, I've always been an overwhelmed kind of person since I became a real adult when I had real stresses, when I had a confined amount of time to get something done. I didn't have time to procrastinate every day. Takes a lot of brain power. You know, yeah. if you're in college and now you have a month to do that, I get time and there's, you know, you don't realize how much time you have in your hands until now you have a job every day where you have those deadlines. The mental fatigue and the brain fog, it gets overwhelming, um, often associated with lots of anxiety and tension. So when we treat that, not only does fatigue improve, brain fog improves. Many people have who have that co have coexisting restless leg syndrome, periodic limb disorder, which has a dopamine uh, connection. Wow, I wake up rested. I'm not overwhelmed. And most people, if they have ADHD, when they look at the stuff, the brain power activity they have to do, it isn't high-level calculus. It isn't complex math. It's relatively easy, but a high volume of things that a first, the eighth grader could do. Yeah. Each in its step. It's not doing these high, you know, taking a physics class and you're trying to understand the theory of light and photons and you're wave not doing theory. Einstein or quantum <laughs> yes, physics. Rel yes, exactly. <laughs> it's relatively simple tasks, but it's often the simple, especially if it's boring mm. and not interesting and routine. And I interviewed uh, Tamara Rozier, and it'll be on a podcast coming up in a couple of weeks, a three-part series. She wrote the book, Your Brain's Not Broken. And I said to her, I said, boy, I, I could have wrote this. You know, I said to her, you know, you, you wrote a book for people with fibro. And I could have titled my book, Your Brain's Not Broken, but it's got a different software operating system. And she draws two lines to help form a four-part grid. And across the horizontal, have two lines. On one end is going to be emotionally stimulating activities. 
And on the other side is going to be not emotionally stimulating. And then a, a vertical line on the top is fun. And on the bottom are not fun. If you look at activities that are not emotionally stimulating and not fun, what comes to your mind in your life? What falls into that category? Snooze button. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> No, no, no. What are the, your own activities that you do that, oh. that you, that you are, that you are, that you have to do? Yeah, You're an adult yeah, you yeah. that, that would fall in that are not really emotionally stimulating and aren't fun. Washing but, dishes, but, you know, uh, you know, just yeah. repetitive tasks. Um, it could be getting your taxes lined up, getting your bills paid, uh, things that are not necessarily fun or exciting. Then you take um, activities that are Emotionally stimulating and not fun. And what falls into that category? The bill's due tomorrow. <laughs> the podcast is due tomorrow. And I recorded Dr. Lenz a month ago. I got to get this out in time. I have to get a blog for your website or I have to create a um, something for your newsletter or something. I got to, I got to get this done. I got, you know, so it's, yellow things that you've procrastinated on and they're emotionally stimulating and they're not fun, but it's negatively emotionally stimulating, right? It doesn't have to be right. fun. It's like, well, I'm going to you be to do it. acted on because I'm going to be shamed if I don't get the paper in my, and I drop out of college because I don't get my work done. So I have to get all of this done. I could be, if I don't pay the bill. So is that procrastinating type of activities? Yes. And those are falling often into that category. The problem is, and so we'll continue to two other categories. Blue are things that are fun, but not necessarily emotionally stimulating. And that would include just flipping through your phone. And, you know, it's sort of fun, but it's not a really big growth kind of thing. It's just sort of um, distracting you. Um, flipping through a magazine or something, but most people it's just flipping through their phone and, you know. And then green things are fun and stimulating. And what are those for your own life? What are what are fun and stimulating things for you? Uh, probably, probably gardening, you know, doing, uh, working out, um, uh, traveling, you know, things like that. And, and I would bet one-on-one -on -one with clients. Yes. Absolutely. When you're when you're one on one and you get the clients with you and interacting with them, those are a lot of green growth kind of things. The problem for many people who are struggling with fibromyalgia and have ADHD is that they wallow in yellow and red and then distract with blue occasionally and their green activities gets very constricted because they for for multiple reasons. One can be I I'm so inefficient. I don't have time for green. I have more responsibilities, so I don't have time for green. I feel guilty for doing mm. anything green when I have all of these blue or, or uh, uh, yellow and red things to do. So many are living in red. I was sharing that with somebody and they said, I live in red. And when you live in red, what does that do to your battery power? Oh, it, that's negative. It's in the red also. <laughs> it, it, it's draining. draining. You, yeah. I live in Wisconsin and I have a, a Tesla. And when it gets cold, you have to go, okay, if I'm driving 200 miles, 
I am don't know if I'll make it because it says 240 and 70 degree weather, but it's with zero degrees. It only is really 140 and not 240 or less. And so then somebody has to calculate how much can I do for the day? Yeah. Or I'm going to get run down. But if your day was full of green things and you could delegate all of your yellow and red things, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be. (laughs) And for some people, that is one way to get by. Yeah. And, and that's where I sometimes will see people and their job changes and they might've been VP of something, but there's downsizing and reorganization. And now you're doing VP plus things you used to delegate. Now you have to do all those yellow things yourself. Mm. And so maybe if you're running your own business, it's like, oh, I love green things, but oh, it's the necessary yellow things that I have bog to do you down. that bog me down. But if somebody gets diagnosed with ADHD and they have it and you treat it, you're like, wow, yellow things aren't so big of a deal. And there also is something that with ADHD and also so with fibromyalgia and those who have those or both is called time blindness. Now, let me ask you a question. How long does it take to unload the dishwasher? Uh, probably three minutes, 10 minutes. How much, how long, how, how long does it feel? In your 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 emotion, <laughs> double As, that, triple that, <laughs> and and yeah, exactly. Um, Tamara Rozier says that's like in her mind. She said, "Okay, this probably takes fifteen minutes," but she timed herself multiple times, and she's like, "It only takes five minutes," and it's you know she's a highly intelligent person, has a PhD. It's not complicated. Your second I, grader can unload the dishwasher. Exactly. I, I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> and the laundry. And if you have emails and going through the emails and trying to um, get through things, that um, is hard part. And, and unfortunately, we live in a world where um, we do have a lot of yellow things. Yeah. And probably the amount of yellow things increase and the green things decrease. So um, having that awareness. Yeah. And ha- having the, those, those boundaries, like how many green to yellow, you know, ratio can I do a day to really help my mental state or physical state. And when you look back, when somebody was doing their best, they had a high level of green relative to their yellow and red yeah and so they if you can on a positive way look back and usually when somebody is doing the best is when um all of those are firing on the at at, at the uh in unison and, and working at the best where you're able to live in that optimal life and but that's where if somebody does have untreated adhd just like a child who's not getting great grades because they rush through their homework and they hate doing their math and it's simple things. And why can you get it sometimes? And, you know, that child can have ADHD because sometimes they can do it right. Um, If you you could stand over them as a drill sergeant on the kitchen table for an hour to do a 15 minute math sheet before they play, 
or keep them in at recess and torture them and guilt them and make them do it because it's a red thing and cause tremendous amount of anxiety. But it's also, when you look at it, if they did have coexisting ADHD, pretty cruel to, you know, yell at the poor child who just can't focus and concentrate because their brain is distracted, even though you're standing, it takes so much long and, and they sure can in the short term drive enough anxiety and fear to quote, get it done. But that's not going to work when now they're on their own at 25 yeah. and trying to manage and get through things. But it's 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 a fun thing to uh, help people connect the dots. So I, I don't know. I remember you saying liking uh, this to Unraveling Yarn. Um, when I decided what kind of doctor I wanted to be in medical school, I kind of always thought primary care, when you say going to a specialty, you're in a sense ignoring almost every other part of the body. Right. But when you do, then I thought family practice, but then I still wanted a depth to what I knew, not so superficial. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician and an internist because I love kids and adults and I knew what I didn't, didn't want to deliver babies. But I always have had a very curious mind. I like problem solving and unraveling, and, and unraveling <laughs> mysteries. And I came in again, getting back to the beginning. I came in with the premise that patients weren't lying. I did not believe in hypochondria. Uh, I was just talking with someone before I came here that when I was growing up, I'm 51. So when I was growing up, I remember having these family summer 4th of July gatherings. And my mom is such a kind heart and always had compassion for people, a big part of her faith. And and you'd notice growing up, at least when I was growing up in the late 70s, if somebody was without a spouse, were they dead or divorced? But it was very weird. Why didn't they come? Mm. My mom, there was one, I don't even remember the person's name. Like, well, she has um, uh, agoraphobia and she hardly ever leaves her house. She has tremendous amount of anxiety. So he just comes by himself. And I had an aunt who had some depression and other things. My mom would be encouraging, like, well, let's go for a walk. And can we try some stuff afterwards? Uh, my mom, who's passed, had just read part of my book before she died. And she said, I think oh, my, my condolences. Aunt, my, my, yeah, my aunt probably had, my, my aunt, her, her uh, sister-in-law, probably had fibro when you start to look back at that history. And so I had a sensitivity that these were real people and there was real distress going on. In medical school, we did problem-based learning for a little bit, which was we had to pick an illness, learn about it, understand what it's like. And our small group of four in our group picked uh, depression. And we had a psychiatrist, Dr. Chan, who's still teaching residents residency at the medical college and you understand 20 percent of people are going to go through a major depression episode so that's in the early 90s when in the 80s the biopsychosocial model of depression was being implemented that that was a real thing and then you start hearing about sort of this chronic pain fibro thing the oxycontin fifth sign vital sign you got to treat the pain so if tylenol and motrin aren't working then you end up, go to Vicodin. And then if you're using more of those than Oxycontin. And then I had a patient 
who was abusing it. And I quickly said, this stuff, this was like probably 2002. I said, I'm never writing a script for this again. This stuff is addicting. And it took probably another eight years before that became more common. But I knew that that didn't mean there wasn't suffering, but using an opioid, which we now understand for fibro, doesn't have any benefit. It probably is, causes more harm. And But I still didn't understand patients. And when I didn't know why, I'd heard sort of a little bit about fibro. And then you'd go, boy, there's family histories where you're in with a history of migraines and your daughter's colicky or IBS, or your mom had chronic, quote, arthritis, but it, she was only in her 40s when she had arthritis, and she didn't have classic deformed joints. Maybe she actually had fibro that was told it was arthritis, and then you you start to see these overlapping Venn diagrams of different things, yeah. different conditions are coming together, and that they start to come together, and that's coming together, I was just treating people this way. And so when it comes to fibromyalgia and having protocols, it's having this awareness. And uh, then you throw in that individual person, right? Everybody's got their own unique background and unique challenges. But jokingly, I like to say you're not that special. <laughs> <laughs> um, meaning there are a lot of things that are common. Yeah. And you want to not be special, but you want to be listened to and you want to not be special because there's hope. When I was in medical training in residency, you see rare conditions, right? And unusual conditions. And you kind of say, well, I don't want to be remembered because if I'm remembered by, here's an interesting case outside the patient's room, that's usually it's rare it's intellectually interesting, but we don't have a cure for it. A straightforward case of an appendicitis, a heart attack. Okay, we're going to see a dozen of those and we know how to fix those. And so imagine uh, in a clinic um, with a, a attending and a, a med student and a resident and presenting, oh, okay, we got this Desiree. She's got this fibro. Oh, she's been to the pain doctors. She says she has this Hashimoto's. She's da-da-da. So what does she what does she want from us today? Mm. Well, she wants her thyroid checked and she wants to make sure her vitamin D's or, or whatever it is. Oh gosh. You know these patients. Oh. And you could imagine, right? Many who are listening who are going through this may um have heard it directly or felt it from the doctor. They may be sweet, but they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um and they question because if you can't fix something, who wants to care for somebody like that? And often for many, and I don't know for, for you and you've had um, maybe different experiences, but for many people, they feel like their doctor is potentially one of their least favorite type of patients. They may not directly say that, but, you know, I don't know what to do for you. And yeah. I actually, I actually love helping because, you know, if I treat your urinary tract infection, you're not like, oh, five-star review. Totally <laughs> nailed that. I can't believe that. I've been peeing every I'm... two hours my whole life. 
And then my <laughs> friend said, that's not, that's not normal. <laughs> and my friend's like, seriously? Oh. <laughs> um, right. Nobody like that's routine. That's fun. Um, I know in our world and probably in your world too, there are family practice doctors who go into urgent care. And I think they're like, I just want to deal with things that get better. I don't want to deal with these chronic pain patients, fibro patients. I just want to say, oh, well, you maybe hurt your neck. Here's cyclobenzaprine and follow up your fear with your primary. I'm here to, and you go, okay, that's great. I didn't expect you to solve my chronic pain problem today, but I do want you to get my urinary tract infection better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right in an urgent care. Um, what, I guess, what do you hear from the fibromyalgia community about their experiences and from things and what they wish their was better from the medical community? It's the, the fatigue and the brain fog, I think it, and then it's the, also the weight, you know, the, you know, they don't know how to get back their energy and they just feel weighed down. I think that is going to be the, the, the few that I remember. Um, yeah. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned about the overwhelm and I, I could see how the brain and especially sleep, you know, the disturbing sleep, if you don't sleep well, that all goes to the brain. Your brain needs to rest. So it makes sense. If you have disturbed sleep the next day, you're going to feel like exhausted, but sometimes even, even if you do everything right, it seems like sleep is not hundred percent. You still wake up tired. I mean, some days are more harder than others, but it's that cloud over you. You always have that brain fog or you always have that, tiredness over you mm -hmm. and it makes it hard to do other things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can do all of the lifestyle appropriate things but still struggle yeah um and these overlap and i think that's where i try to bridge the medical approach if somebody has adhd you know what the worst time trying to fall asleep if you have eight time of day is when you have nothing to do <laughs> and you're just laying there and now you think of all the red things <laughs> <laughs> and, and so try to relax it can be a challenge because you have all of the potential intrusive overwhelm that now isn't at least dissipated by at least physically putting dishes away even as mindless at least you're physically doing something to move and occupy yourself um, when you look at ADHD and treatments, it's the most effectively treated psychiatric condition, more effective than depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. And it can completely be life changers. You know, take somebody and go, wow, I didn't know it was normal. Now, unlike fibro, ADHD has always kind of been there. Um, but fibro, if somebody has that, may be um, unmasked. If some other, you know, the green, the amount of green now is not sufficient enough. Mm. And sometimes it's, they never knew how active they were. They knew they were active, but they didn't know how much more that was than the average person. 
And then somebody who's married, has kids, and drops their steps down, and their friends are like, well, it's no big deal. Ah, I'm just so drained. I just wish I had more energy and feeling overwhelmed. And if they can get all of these identified and treated. People who have milder fibro um, on the continuum, mild, mild, moderate, may not have it. They just have other life stressors going on. Mm. Um, getting exercise, they may not have those other conditions in there that are comorbid, and they just have to get on track. You know, uh, some teenagers getting migraines, the biggest for teens and middle school students is having irregular sleep schedules, weekends, weekdays. Oh, that's easy. They're, they just needed to be on the same schedule. Do it for two weeks. Your migraines greatly improve the frequency and intensity and eating a healthy diet. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. There are three ways to show your support. One, rate the show on Spotify. Two, leave a review through Apple. Three, share the episode with a fellow autoimmune warrior so they too can have hope and be stronger than autoimmune. Learning that ADHD and fibromyalgia have a link has given me many insights. If you're interested in learning more, stay tuned to my accounts like LinkedIn, IG, and my website because I will be posting more information on the subject. As a health coach, I know tracking what you do on a daily basis makes a big contribution to symptoms and flares. If you're interested in a free tracking app, go to Isla Health. If you're looking for an autoimmune support group, check out my website. I have local meetups coming up and Zoom calls. Sending lots of love and healing. Until next time, stay stronger than autoimmune. And thank you for sending in your ratings and subscribing. I really appreciate it. Take care.